Hello and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we're going to take a look at one of our favourite books, The End of Jobs, written by Taylor Pearson. So how are you doing, Kevin? Yeah, yeah good, thanks. Yeah, uh, some exciting news uh, for this episode. I've launched, we've finally launched the Timber Beam Calculator. Hey, fantastic. After, after many years of working on it, so that's that's good to get it out. Um, it's been, it's odd, it's, it's odd because your expectations change as your business develops, so it's, it's doing well, but it's kind of, because we've got other products that are doing really well, you know, existing products doing really well, it, it seems like less of a success than if it was just we only had the one product, you know, but it's right. yeah, it's, it's out there. So if you want to check it out, I think there'll be we'll put the um, URL in the in the notes as well. But yeah, do check that out. Cool. So is is this a completely separate product, or is it like an extension to still it's, being calculated? Um, it's kind of a complementary product. So it's a it's a new product in its own right, but you can purchase it in conjunction with the steel beam calculator. So some people will probably want both products, or somebody might just want either the steel beam or the timber beam. So it depends really. But yeah, no. It's oh, so a, is, there, is there some kind of discount if you take both? Yeah, yeah. You can get like a joint package at a discounted rate than buying them individually. The, the, the subscription has been a bit of a pain um, because of the different tiers you know because there's monthly annual and obviously integrating that with existing customers because all these different random uh, legacy sort of subscription tiers and stuff so it's, it has yeah. been a bit of a pain actually but we've, we've got there in the end and it's all been launched so yeah i'm happy with that well so what have you been up to then steve um quite a few bits uh, a lot of normal stuff I and mean, i've started work on my next course oh, good. i'm in the process of scripting that at the moment but i've not actually recorded anything yet okay so it's just kind of pre-production planning kind of easing myself back in gently after christmas uh one thing i've been doing is um I've actually been out of the pension loop for quite a few years now. Yeah, so yeah. The last pension I took part in was when I worked for a large healthcare company. And then the startup I was at after that at the time didn't have a pension. And I, I kind of wasn't really that bothered about it, but my wife sort of said, you know, you really need to start consolidating and sort of thinking through what what you're doing because I have yeah. no idea how much is in my other pensions. I'm really terrible. I don't I don't really have a pension. That's, that's, oh, no. a, that's terrible. It's going to work till you know till till I die. I guess <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, I'm hoping the business does well and that will be my pension. Yeah. Um, so hedging my bets really. That's though, always, you know, it's always the, it's always <laughs> so the aim. It's a big. That's a big ask though. But yeah. Well, I went to see um, a pension advisor. Um, actually, before I say anything, this isn't. This isn't pension advice. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is me just saying what, what is, I'm yeah, doing. Don't, so. don't. This isn't legal advice. Yeah, so only advice. do what's relevant and valid for you. But yeah, see, I, I saw an advisor, and they said about this um, pension company that's very popular with small business owners called Pension B. Okay. B yeah. as in, you know, Buzzy Bees. Okay, yeah. And it's kind of a, like a mobile, you know, you, they've got like a really good mobile app, so you can see what you've paid in, you can see what the fund value is, and it's kind of reasonably real-time, so you can kind of oh, okay. see what the... You know how the sort of pension investments doing. So I've uh, started moving all of my existing pensions over to that. So I've got four different pensions with old companies. Okay, yeah. And I've been going through the process of trying to get those funds transferred, which is complicated because a lot of these uh, old pension companies are very, uh, very non-technological, shall we say? Yeah. So I've yeah. had to get you know copies of my passport certified by my accountant and oh, yeah. filling out forms which have to be physically posted by snail mail. Oh, it's, it's probably done deliberately, isn't it, to, to try and lock you in, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so most of that's done. I've got one outstanding pension where I'm expect, waiting for the funds to transfer across. But it's quite good because I can actually kind of see you know how much is paid into there. Okay, yeah. And I've started doing like you know a regular contribution each month just so I'm kind of 
feels like I've got some something to fall back on when I retire. If I retire, do we ever retire as an entrepreneur? Uh, no, 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 I didn't. That's not allowed. No, um, yeah. My granddad, he was a farmer, and he never retired. I think he was working his eighties, you know. And yeah, I think entrepreneurs are the same. I think. Yeah, in my my opinion, but no, I mean, I suppose it's, it's if you get well, so ill, isn't it? I think that's that's a tricky one, isn't it? In your old age, or if you're not well yeah. enough to work, or plus, you know, if anything was ever to happen to me as well, then obviously the pension fund would yeah, go yeah, to my wife. Yeah, to um, or to think more about that. Um, but I'm using. I think it's because the company's growing. I'm sort of just putting all, all my eggs in, into the business, really. But um, yeah. perhaps I ought to think about something. So that's one thing I've been doing. And something else I started doing in um, in December because you know I, I took December a bit slower while I was working on some other stuff. But one of the things I kind of wanted to do is I kind of went through uh, my accounts for the previous year okay. just to do a bit of a spending review, just to see if there's anything that I don't actually need anymore and I can cut down on and you know just to kind of mm. see where things are going and I was kind of horrified at the amount of charges that I was getting from my bank just feel like using my card abroad yeah yeah so that's that's where they make the money isn't it on these little yeah little hidden charges isn't and it? the bank I've been with and I've been with them for seven years but their customer service was not very good and you know the fees are expensive their online portal is an absolute pain in the ass to log on to is it okay yeah so I thought, you know, I, I decided now's the time to actually move over to another bank. So there's a bank I've been keeping an eye on. It's kind of, a, again, a more modern, uh, mobile-first style business bank account. Yeah. It's a company called Starling Bank. And I kind of had my eye on them for a while. Um, but the, the thing that was stopping me from moving over to them was that they didn't have an automated real-time feed into Zero, which is my accounting package. Yeah. But they've now got that. They've, they've released that. So I've, I've started moving over to them. So I, you know, I set the account up, went through the verification process. I put like a small amount of money into the account and I just you know, tested the account for a few weeks. Yeah, I can see this becoming increasingly common where people are going to transfer from sort of very traditional banks. You know, originally there was like four main banks in the UK and now there's going to be a lot more options to pick, you know, um, sort of more modern internet-based or mobile app-based yeah. banks. It's, it's really good. It's, it seems very secure. I mean, it uses, you know, passwords, pin codes and biometrics to log into the app. Okay. Um, you've got really good control over your um, debit card. So if you lose it, you can just go into the app, you can disable it. You can disable it for certain types of transactions as well. Okay, yeah. And you yeah. can also geofence the card as well. So if your card is more than a certain distance away from your phone... <laughs> it won't work. It won't work. Ah, oh, that's cool, which, yeah. is, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So I've now finished the move over to them. You know, it took a while sorting out direct debits. They did have an account switching service, but I wanted to do it manually because I wanted to check <laughs> everything that I was doing. Yeah, it's just probably a good opportunity to review costs, isn't it, as well? There's like certain recurring you know, subscriptions for things that you don't use or things like that, isn't it? Well, the thing or... I like about it is, because with my previous bank, it was one of the more you know, traditional you know, big corporate banks. It's like yeah. if, if you make a load of purchases, they sometimes wouldn't show up on your account for two, three or four days. Afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. this one, if I buy something on Amazon, literally as soon as you've hit buy, a notification comes up on my phone and says you've made this purchase right Oh, Amazon. yeah. Oh, that's and it shows you on the app a really interesting chart of, you know, what you spent that day. So actually, it's really easy to see what's happening with your account daily. Okay, yeah. yeah. Without yeah. taking up too much time yeah. as well, which is good. So, yeah, I've been doing that. That's probably... You know, quite a boring thing to do, but it kind of mm. beginning of the year, it kind of felt a good idea to do it. My financial year ends at the end of February, so I thought let's just get it done before the next financial year starts. Okay, yeah. So yeah, apart from that, uh, my book that I was doing for A Press has now been listed on Amazon in Europe and US, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So it's a 
release date of April for the EU and May for the US. Okay, yeah. which is quite cool. So I'm quite excited about that. We could actually sort of hold a copy of it. And the only other thing is next week I've got my first conference of the year. So I'm doing one called NDC Security in Oslo, okay, Norway next week. So I'm teaching a two day workshop, and I'm doing a talk as well. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, just to let us know how you get on. Yeah, it's going to be cold. Lots of snow and ice. <laughs> cold. <laughs> I'm going to take some more suitable shoes this time. I just took normal trainers last year. Did you? Oh, uh, I just took, so yeah, inst- instantly regretted it. Oh, no. So, okay, so, before we go on to the questions, it's got a bit of follow-up. So, in the last episode, we spent a bit of time talking about um, goals and New Year's resolutions. And yeah. That sort of stuff, which I thought was a really good conversation. But I was listening to another podcast. Uh, it's a show called Cortex. It's on the Relay FM network. I can. And I listen to it all the time, but... It's kind of interesting what they're talking about in this particular episode. And it's presented by two guys, so Mike Hurley and someone called CGP Gray. I'm not quite sure what his first name is. He just <laughs> refers to himself as CGP Gray. Yeah, cool. But they were talking about uh, the idea of yearly themes, and then they put their goals into these themes. Oh, okay, yeah. Which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. So the themes always start, you know, the year of something or other, the year of this, the year of that. Okay, yeah. And I yeah. kind of looked over my last three years and thought, you know, does that kind of apply to me? And actually, it kind of does, because for me, 2017 was a year of change for me. So I went from, you know, a regular full-time employment yeah. into self-employment. So that was the year where I had all the anxiety. A year of change, <laughs> through, through yeah. Change. Yeah, perhaps it's more of a journey than a goal, isn't it? Or it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a story, isn't it? You know, it's not just um, one set thing that you have to do. It's, it's a series of things, isn't it? You know, it's... Uh, yeah. And then 2018 for me was kind of like the year of stability and growth. So stability as in, you know, this is the first year I've done this full time. Yeah. Is it, is, is it sustainable? Can I pay myself a regular salary and keep the business afloat? Yeah. Yeah. So, so your year of change was obviously your change from employee to entrepreneur. And then obviously your following year was, was just sort of becoming stable as an entrepreneur, wasn't it? And, and in terms of your revenue and making sure that you can pay the bills and, and, and growing that. Yeah, because yeah. when I first Stability. when I first changed into running my own business, it was kind of exhilarating, terrifying, yeah. but it kind of felt like a novelty. Yeah. Whereas last year, it was kind of about you know making it feel normal. You know, this is my this is now my normal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if yeah. I went back into another job, that would feel just really abnormal now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So it's a year of stability and also the year of growth. So I just need to try and grow the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from previous years, which means for me this year. 2019 really is the year of branching out so there's a few other projects and areas I want to try and explore yeah yeah perhaps now you've got that stability and growth perhaps it's it's an opportunity to look at new different things isn't it um, yeah so I thought it was pretty cool so I'll put a link to the to the episode on their podcast um, in the show notes so Cortex is kind of a podcast about productivity yeah yeah which is quite good um, but yeah that's just a little aside it's kind of a follow-on from what we discussed yeah perhaps we got to set, set like a uh, that's going to be the year of whatever it is that you know we need to do. So yeah, that that could be something to think about actually. Hmm. I guess it kind of is a year of branching out for you because you've just released a brand new yeah, product. Yeah, I think I think it will be. I want to sort of like um, I enjoy building new products. So I want to make that more of a thing hmm. uh, this year at least. So mine might be the year of branching out as well um, on new projects and new new ideas. We want to validate some new ideas as well and, and sort of make sure that they work. Um, so, uh, and so we've got some audience questions as well. Yeah, so this this first one, um, 
quite interesting, actually. So the, the day we're recording this, I mean, it's Tuesday the 15th. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're reasonably real time, so I'm releasing this episode in a couple of days. And this first question is actually about Brexit, so I'll read the question and I'll sort of say why. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Kind of, it's, it's kind of amusing. It's, yeah. So the question's from a guy called John, and he says, with something as big as Brexit looming in the UK, is now a good time to leave your job and start a business, or would it be a good idea to wait where you are for a while? And so before we just sort of tackle what he just said, now I don't I don't want to turn this into a political podcast because it's it's not about yeah, politics. Yeah, we're, we're probably not qualified to speak on politics. No, but, no, um, but yeah. definitely not. But it is something that we can't ignore. But the mm. thing that's ironic is today's Tuesday the 15th and this evening is when our government in the UK are actually voting on the... Uh, on the deal, isn't on it? whether on... to accept the deal for leaving the EU. Yeah, they've, they've kind of come up with a deal, but obviously some people aren't happy with the deal. It's very hard, isn't it, to everybody agree on a, a deal that works for everybody or, you know... I think it's fair to say the deal the Prime Minister's put together isn't very popular, so they're kind of expecting it to be voted down, yeah, whether that yeah. actually happens or not. But it's quite funny, because at the minute, we have no idea, but by the time we release this episode, yeah, I think, we'll I know think what's happening. The word on the street is that the deal's not going not gonna to go through, but it's it's what happens then, isn't it? Um, yeah. Who knows? But getting back to John's question, I mean, we were having a little chat about this before we started recording, so he's basically saying he's... If you're thinking of leaving your job and actually starting a business, so you've been running, say, a side hustle for a little while, yeah, is now a good idea to do it? I, I, it's funny you should say that because I was talking to you uh, when I first set up my, I went up on my own. It was it was sort of January two thousand eight, and in two thousand eight, the world crashed. <laughs> there was the credit crunch, and banks went bankrupt, and uh, we had this discussion, didn't we? You know, about well, I was working for a large global bank yeah, at the time, so it, I was quite nervous. It, it's odd because sometimes in times of recession or, or of things like Brexit, that you know, there's opportunities as well as uncertainties, isn't there? And I think sometimes you kind of just got to go for it and not worry what's happening in the world. Sometimes you know, you're you're sometimes you're working on a micro level. If you're doing, yeah. if you're starting a small business, what's happening? You know, if if the economy goes down five percent, if you're acting at a very micro level, it doesn't really make any difference. You know, you can still grow your business at a micro level. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, if you if you're if you're a big multinational, it's probably more of a deal, isn't it, um, than at our level? Do you think? Or yeah, well, I think it probably comes down to kind of how your appetite or what your appetite for risk is, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be going to be a bit harsh here. I think that if you're worried about things like Brexit, um, that's a big deal. But it's if you're worried about things like that, perhaps you shouldn't be doing a business. If you're thinking that's, yeah. you can kind of be certain in what you're doing. And if you're thinking, I'm going to launch it anyway, regardless of what's happening in the economy or politically or, or whatever, you know, you've kind of just, if you believe in what you're doing, you've just got to go for it, haven't you? Um, yeah, I mean, when I think at what, you know, look at the potential downsides, what if I, I mean, Things nobody actually knows what's going to happen, which yes. makes it very hard to very hard it's, to predict. It's very hard to predict the future. That's part of actually the the following topic we'll go into in a minute. Was is 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 is, yeah. is, is about the future. Um, I mean, when I, when I look at my business, do I think business is going to directly? Uh, sorry, do I think Brexit is going to directly affect what I'm doing? It's like, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's hard to say, isn't it? You just don't know, do you? The only bit I'm slightly nervous about is I've committed to doing a workshop and a conference. <laughs> Where During I'm breaks. actually going to be there on the day we come out. Oh, of, no. of, you of, could, be, you could be trapped there. You'd be stuck in Europe forevermore. Well, I mean, the, um, they've already said that they're not going to strand people. They'll, I think, they'll yeah, people I think back, so. that, yeah, I, I think that's going to happen. I'm not but. really that worried about it. I think, I mean, for me, the thing that would worry me more is because um, a large part of my income comes from the US. The thing that would worry me more is if the tax treaty changed between the UK and the US. Ah, okay. Because so, yeah. at the minute, um, 
different countries have a different percentage tax treaty with the US. And at the moment, the UK has a 0% treaty. Yeah. So what that means is if you earn money in the US, we don't pay any tax in America, but we pay it all in corporation tax over this side. Yeah. And there's a whole series of scary forms you have to fill in to do that. It's, uh, it's tricky, I think. And also, with, there's opportunities, like, say, for example, if, the, if, if, if you're selling to other parts of the world, if the pound takes a bit of a, a downer, and, and at the moment the, the, the pound is low against the, the dollar and the euro, for example. So if you're exporting, if you're selling, like we have a software product that we sell in the US. Hmm. So we're actually doing quite well at the moment because the pound is, and you, I assume the same with yourself, um, yeah, the I mean, benefit the, from having a devalued pound. When Brexit was initially announced after the referendum, and sort of the, the pound just nosedived. Yeah, but it nosedived about a week before I got paid my royalty check, which actually, <laughs> which, actually which actually did really well for me. In, yeah, in the short term, yeah. I know. But. I know it's a bit a bit unfair, but it, in some ways, there's opportunities as well. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, you've got to kind of be looking for chaos and opportunity, and that's 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 where. It's good to be an entrepreneur sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, you can de-risk it. And also, when you start a business, you can de-risk it by doing it as a side hustle before you actually take the plunge. Yeah, and start I, your I've always been someone who's do. quite risk adverse. So I think the way I would have tackled the question, for me, I think the way me and you would probably tackle this is different. Yeah, I'm sure. Which is fine. Um, for me personally, you know, I'm quite risk adverse. So, you know, you've got wife, mortgage, kids... Personally, if I was in that situation, I would have probably waited a few months just to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And then do it. But I'd still do it anyway. I, I might just have delayed it a little yeah, bit. It's funny to say, because when I started my business, you know, I didn't have children. Um, perhaps if I had, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's easy to say, isn't it? You know, the circumstances might, if I was starting a business today, I might be more more scared than I am, yeah. than I would have been back when I first started my business. So it's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've always been quite risk adverse. So, so for me to make that jump, to leave my previous job, and do something different. That was quite a hard decision for me to make. Even though you know I've been running the business for several years anyway, it was it was profitable, and I knew I could do it. Yeah. I, I wasn't starting from scratch. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think it's it depends on your on your personal risk tolerance, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's the best we can say to John. Really, it depends on what you're like with risk. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I mean, if you've got an established business that you've been running. And it's doing quite well. You know, you can support yourself, and you've got some money saved away as a runway. Then maybe, then yeah. maybe go for it. I'd, yeah, I'd, I don't know. Perhaps you should also look if if there are opportunities to come out of Brexit. You know, I mean, if I was an African farmer, I'd be perhaps praying for a no deal or something like that. Because obviously, it probably reduced tariffs from say an African country exporting say fruit into the UK or things like that. There'd be opportunities, wouldn't they, that you should, you might be able to exploit as a, as, a, as a small. It's hard to say, isn't it? I say the, the timing of this question is 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 kind of funny, say because you know we're recording this at what quarter to two in the afternoon on Tuesday. Yeah, the vote for the in in Parliament is due to happen about what seven half seven tonight. Yeah, so by the time we release this episode, I mean who knows what's going to happen by that yeah, point? Yeah, I think what we need to, we need to scrap the union and have like a world union. That's my solution to this problem. Have a world union where we're all we're all in this world union and we all get to work together. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it? Do you think? You honestly see that happening? Yeah, world a world union. That's that's my. Europe seems a little bit. You know, it's just biased towards the Europeans. But why not have like a world union? Well, they can't even get one continent to agree. Yeah, the entire planet. Yeah, yeah, that seems better to me. What do I know anyway? Cool. Okay. Yeah, that was a good question. That that was a. 
I say the, the timing of that was really good. So we'll, we shall we shall see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, we shall we shall see. Uh, so the other question uh, from Sam. So this one's aimed at you, Kevin. So okay. Um, how hard is it for a team as small as yours to keep infrastructure running reliably when large companies with much bigger teams seem to struggle for reliability sometimes? Oh, it's. Do you mean? What do you mean infrastructure? Do you mean like communication infrastructure or kind of business well, I mean, infrastructure you, you or mean, tech infrastructure or? I guess it must mean tech infrastructure. I mean, you run a software as a service company, so you must have all that deployed somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, it's ours is a relatively straightforward product, though. Really, um, in terms of, I mean, I, I'm my business partner's a CTO, so I can't really comment too much on the on the tech infrastructure, but it, it looks really solid and everything works. Um, um, in terms of like the communication infrastructure. You know, like for example, we use like tools like um, Slack and Gmail, and I mean, it's fair. There's only three in our team. There's there's me, Nick, and Manos, so it's not like there's a whole lot to manage in terms of you know the business infrastructure and the tech infrastructure is not. I mean, I mean, I think larger companies, it's just, it must be like an increased degree of complexity with each sort of as a company gets larger, it gets more and more exponentially more complicated, doesn't it? As the as the team size grows, I guess. I mean, your products deployed into the cloud on someone else's kit or do you, do you own the servers or do you physically rent the servers and no um i'm, I'm not an expert um but yeah no we just uh that we don't host the you know we we have you know um what's it's in the cloud hosted in the cloud i don't so want to say too much about it because it's, it's, like, it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's someone else's computer yeah, so, yeah, so they've yeah. got the responsibility of making sure that the kids yeah are... yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's, it's hosted by another company um out in the cloud, wherever, you know, securely or whatever. So, yeah, there isn't really a great deal to do. I mean, ours is a relatively straightforward product as well. I mean, obviously, it is a SaaS, so we want it to be, you know, we want decent uptime and it to be reliable, etc. But well, I think part of what Sam might be alluding to, because I've, I've experienced this in several companies I've worked at, um, and I think some of the attitudes are changing a bit, but I mean, certainly when I was working in large multinational corporations, they were terrified of the, of, of the cloud you know, oh, installing yeah. stuff on someone else's system in a data center that you don't control. So typically what they would do is they would build their own data centers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, if, you, if you're in servers and stuff, that's kind of wow, really old school, isn't it? I mean, I know I was speaking to somebody who, who sells uh, software into sort of legal practices and he was saying like 2017, the world kind of changed a little bit for them and they were more inclined to be happy to have stuff on the cloud, all their data and et cetera, than they would have been in the past. So I think the world's going that way and people are getting their... their they're getting more tolerant. Years ago, they would have had their own server within the building, yeah. but now, I mean, nowadays, they kind of get used to the idea of having their information stored. I, mean, I, I can't speak for Amazon server. AWS because I've not really used it that much. But I, mean, I know certainly from Microsoft Azure's point of view, which is kind of Microsoft's cloud infrastructure system, I mean, they've got so many certifications for like PCI DSS, all the different ISO standards, mm. sort of data security standards. So, you know, if you want to install government related software they're kind of certified for doing that now so i think there is kind of a change into the cloud yeah yeah sure yeah i mean we use things like cloudflare and things like that as well which help but um yeah it's, it's as is it just as is quite simple really um i i think i was, I was sort of like there's a co-working space that i go to and there was a there's like a little meeting area and obviously some of the other businesses that larger businesses they come and have little meetings and i hear the discussions and it just seems like such so much more complex. Like, they, for example, they were discussing like GDPR the other day. Perhaps I was not really listening to their conversations, but they were saying about could they use Dropbox or not, and they can only use Dropbox if they had a company email address, or you know, they couldn't if it was a personal email address would use with Dropbox. They couldn't, and all these. And I thought, oh, this is really crazy. And we just, as a small company, can just kind of get on with stuff and just plow on. There's not that kind of 
kind of process. It's not like complexity is there. Everything just seems so kind of nuanced and complicated and you know yeah. we've got all these extra people in there and I, I assume you probably have to have that complexity as you get bigger but for us it's just you can just do stuff you don't have to worry about anything um, as long as it works you know and everything's reliable it works. doesn't really matter got yeah. everyone's data secured or sort of securely stored yeah um, but luckily I have, a, have a, a great CTO that deals with all of that so I don't have to worry about any of that well delegated yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, used to, I used to quite enjoy a lot of that stuff I'm sort of deploying software because when I worked for the startup, I mean, because we were a much smaller company, the software we we're doing, we we're, we're trying to do things, you know, correctly. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm doing air quotes, not yeah, anyone, you can't see that. <laughs> you know, where you have like you know automated build systems, deployment systems. When it actually comes to developing or deploying the software, it literally was, you know, we want this release to go into this environment, hit a button, and off it goes, and it's it's there, and it worked pretty well. Yeah, and I yeah. imagine they've got it much better now than what mm. it was back then just over the last year and a half or so but you know probably as you say this, that everything has to become more complicated as, as the thing grows you know um, you know I've worked in some companies where they, they don't trust automated deployment systems okay. so, so you have the developers writing a set of instructions and developers are crap at writing instructions Okay. Shouldn't have them, but they're not very good at writing instructions. <laughs> just, just, just like insulted our, our listenership. <laughs> and then you, you throw, you know, well, they're not because I'm not very good at it and I'm, uh, I'm a developer. And it, you, know, you, you give these instructions to someone else in another department and they've got to try and follow them. And they can be really complex. You know, you've got to install this database set of tables here and run these scripts here and mm. copy this over to here and rename this to that. And it always goes wrong. <laughs> Did you end up with like frustrated people on a phone call trying to fix it? Oh, no, yeah. Oh, don't miss that. Okay, so um, today's topic then. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book by Taylor Pearson called The End of Jobs. Well, it's called The End of Jobs, Money, Meaning and the Freedom Without the 9 to 5. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, I have read it's this. Cool. Yeah. And it was actually, uh, it was actually you that recommended the book to me. So when we first met at the co-working space in March last oh, year. It? Oh, March. Wow, yeah. yeah this is when you were quick. starting out, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so you recommended this book to me and I sort of got it on the Kindle and read it. And it's kind of about, you know, are we at the point where nine to five jobs aren't as relevant as what they were? Yeah. I mean, at some point, there'll be yeah, that inflection point, maybe. won't there, between, um, you know, you know, is, is it better to be an entrepreneur or is it better to have been an employee? You know, and at some point there's going to be an inflection point where I suspect at some point in the future maybe you'd be better off being an entrepreneur than being an employee. But, you know, I think that's we're working towards that, aren't we? I think. Yeah. So if I just read out the uh, the blurb on the back of the book, okay, yeah, and yeah. then sort of say what the key theme of the book is, then maybe we can sort of, sort of unpack some of the, the key themes yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I highly recommend reading it. I'm pretty yeah, sure I, you do, I do as well. Too, yeah, it's a great, a great it's, read. It is a good read. I'll put links to it on Amazon in the in the notes. So the blurb from the back of the book then. So the rapid development of technology and globalization has changed the leverage points in accumulating wealth, money, meaning, and freedom. Those that don't adapt are becoming trapped in a downward spiral of a dying middle class, working harder and earning less. Entrepreneurs that understand the new paradigm have created unprecedented wealth in their lives and the lives of those they love. Yeah. So that's kind of the the blurb on the back of the book. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the book, there's a great bit in there where sort of Taylor mentions, he sort of like goes into detail, you know, his friends from college that went and got jobs 
And then he looks at his other friends who are entrepreneurs and then the difference between the two and obviously the, the ones that got the jobs are really struggling, having to work crazy hours mm. for like very low pay rises, you know, like the three, two, three percent pay rise they might have got. And then looking at his entrepreneur friends, they're like doubling their salary, you know, they're not salary, their, you know, their businesses every year or something like yeah. that, you know, it's just this um, disparity between the two. But yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Should we get into the, into the meat of the book? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I went through it before we... Um recorded so I've kind of written down what I think the, the key or the core theme of the book is. yeah yeah so it's the promise of a stable nine-to-five job at the end of college has been un- unsustainable since the turn of the century our society is transitioning into an entrepreneurial economy and now more than ever is the time to take advantage of technology to create meaningful work that embraces risk and creativity and offers more wealth and freedom than the broken tradition of the nine-to-five grind yeah yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, if, if you had to distill the entire book down into one paragraph, that's probably kind of the key yeah. message in my mind. Is yeah, that 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 uh, is a transition from sort of easy nine to five job to more difficult sort of creative entrepreneurial work, isn't it? It's quite interesting when you look at the sort of the generational shift. And this is one of the things that the book starts out by talking about. I mean, it starts out talking about the baby boomer generation. Where back then, you kind of really had this idea of a job or a career for life. You know, you might come out of college or university. Yeah. You might work for a bank and then, you know, I 40, think 40 my, years later you retire. For our, for our parents' generation, I think that was the norm, wasn't it? Is that you, um, you know, left co- you know, school, college, university or whatever, and then you've got a job and then you work there till you retired. And that was quite common, wasn't it? Um, but obviously less so mm-hmm. now, I think jobs are, are less stable than they once were and they don't pay as well as they once did, you know, comparatively. Yeah, I mean, I think the longest I've ever stayed in one company uh, was an internet bank quite a few years ago and I was there for five years. Five years, wow. wow. So that, that's, that's kind of my record for staying at a company. I think but generally I was averaging two to three years. Yeah, I think the most I ever stayed in one job was two, just over two years. Although my wife completely bucks the trend of what we're talking about. She's oh, been at the same company for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't mind. Well, I'm saying that, the company she's, she's been at has been bought out three or four times now so she's oh, actually worked for four companies but... <laughs> it's not the same company yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's kind of gone through acquisitions yeah it's yes yeah, so i think looking at the jobs if i go back and look now at the at the companies i worked for they've all kind of changed they're, they're different companies now or they've shut down or they've you know re-emerged or whatever or merged with other companies so yeah it's, it all changes doesn't it whereas these days i mean you, you tend to get quite a lot of people that are highly educated, you know, have been to university, but then sort of struggling to gain sort of meaningful employment. Yeah, yeah, or they're, they're underqualified for the job that they do. So they might have to be really well qualified, but not do a job that requires that qualification, you know. So there's a lot of that, isn't there? Or people are working part-time or that struggle to get those those kind of jobs. I think there's less jobs and more people now, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was chatting to a guy um, in a local coffee shop recently, actually. He's, you know, really like, super intelligent you know, yeah completed a master's degree yeah but he's struggling to find employment yeah yeah it's hard isn't it yeah to find a relative uh, you know a job that's relevant to your qualifications i guess one thing that doesn't help I me mean, with technology we've got you know more automation so if you're used to working in something that's i don't want to use the word menial so i don't really want to disservice but if, if it's something that's easily repeatable yeah, yeah, but, you know, we're getting to a point now automated. Yeah, I mean, you look at now at the, um, you've got like Amazon, you look at Amazon Distribution Center, they've got all these robots and things. A lot of it's automated, isn't it? And more, and this is going to become more so, isn't it? Have you ever seen um, some of the videos about how the distribution centers work? 
I've seen I've seen them have these little like flat robot things, don't they? And they sort of move things around on, don't they? It's, it's clever, isn't it? And they, they, it's crazy. You know, they, they do most of the picking from the warehouse via robot from these big bins. I know it's crazy, isn't it? And then, it then it goes down. Then you've got like people competing with each other on like production lines to get things packed and hit quotas. It's crazy. And, I know it's crazy, isn't it? But when you see all of that, you think um, you can see why there's there's less of those kind of jobs, and that'll that'll only continue. There'll be more automation. Um, and also, I mean, that's going to—that's not just going to be traditional like blue-collar jobs. I think that's going to translate into what we're traditionally white-collar. So things like accountancy, things like that, are going to get automated by software, aren't they? A lot of routine, like bookkeeping, those kind of professions. Well, I mean, aren't well, they? One of the things, I mean, certainly during the '90s and into the early 2000s, I mean, outsourcing was a was a big thing where. You know, like software development work would be outsourced to cheaper economies. Yeah, there was this thing I was reading. I think it did mention in the book that I think it's like India, they're churning out like a million engineers a year graduating from Indian universities. And I think in, in, in the UK, it's been like 50,000. Mm. But you think like, you, you know, all of those, there's going to be all these um, people that are qualified from other parts of the world, you know, and that's going to get more and more. So, so it's going to be even more competitive. Uh, even more competition for jobs than there was previously throughout the whole world so yeah it's going to get jobs are going to get difficult aren't they yeah I mean I worked um, for one company a financial services company and one of the projects we were doing probably 80% of the actual software development the actual you know hands to the keyboard coding okay was done in Bangalore okay and then we yeah. had sort of a core team working in the office in Nottingham yeah so we're co- who were basically more like directors just like con- 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 conducting yeah. the product, I mean, one of, one of, project. One of my first jobs, I worked as a, as a draftsman and drawing concrete components and stuff like that and, and different sort of construction um, things, you know, uh, like concrete concrete stairs and components and things. And then all of that kind of drafting work was kind of sent over to the Far East. I can't remember which country it was, one, some country in the Far East. And... You know, and then they just had like instead of having like say thirty people in the office, they just had three people that sort of managed the work, but all mm. all of the actual work was outsourced. So all those people, those jobs don't, didn't exist anymore in this country. You know, so that's going to happen more and more. So isn't it? it's going to be more and more competition, more and more qualified people from all around the world, isn't there? So one of the themes he talks about in the book, um, you know, where outsourcing is more prevalent for some of the more sort of routine sort of programming software development yeah. work, for example. Kind of one area where you can still own it is in sort of creative and cognitive work. So actually coming up with the ideas, being a subject matter expert. Yeah, I think I think they mentioned it about sort of like coming up with the systems, you know, coming up with new business systems and things, or the the complicated things, you know, that high end creative cognitive work, coming up with new ideas or coming up with a new better way of doing things, you know, that you know those sort of jobs are going to do well. Which is kind of what more the entrepreneurial stuff is. It's more about coming up with a new idea, a new product, being creative, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So if that's kind of how you can secure your nine to five job, then those are exactly the skills that you need. To yeah, run your own it's I, I think to a certain extent, I think the internet age or the age that we're living now has been kind to people like me. <laughs> to me, I think if I'd been born in a previous generation, it might not. I don't think I would have enjoyed the kind of. It's probably more stifled, you know, the creative being creative, and that would have been harder in those kind of environments. But I think now it's good, you know, for people like myself. Like on yourself as well, people that are yeah, I mean, we've sort of grown up in the in the internet age. I mean, I remember. I mean, at the point when I went to university, um, at home I was using the internet over a sort of a dial-up modem. <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I went to university, the fact that you know the internet was just there on a network, you, you didn't internet. have to dial up. It, it was it was just there, and you, and you could plug your 
computer into a land socket in your hall's bedroom and you yeah. had the internet as like, oh my god and uh, yeah i remember, <laughs> I, remember I remember going around to a friend's house when we were teenagers and and him having the internet and obviously being teenage boys you can imagine what we looked at but but it was just amazing though to see to see that you could just go on and put you know go to a search engine i can't yeah. remember it was like lycos or something like that or whatever it would have been <laughs> like, Vista. yeah it would have been something <laughs> like that back in the day and then like just putting in you know like searching for whatever you know whatever you wanted to know and it was there it was it was amazing it's like it's like black magic wasn't it you know absolutely and but because of that i mean the actual barrier to entry in creating a business is so low now i mean you can you can start a really successful business with just a laptop yeah doesn't even have to be a very good laptop you just you know a laptop yeah or even even a phone in in, in theory yeah yeah. these days yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it whereas back in the day you know 10 20 years ago i mean to set up a business you had to go see your bank manager and try and get a loan you needed a business plan and yeah yeah and also just hiring people now but now you've got these sort of like marketplaces now like odesk and freelance and um people per hour so you can hire people more around the world aren't you You can Mm. do do sort of small bits of work for you to do that years ago would have been really really difficult I mean, because because of the internet and sort of the low barrier to entry, I mean, he uses quite a good term in the book. He says sort of startup companies these days are called micro multinationals. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel that's weird because I've I've got um, an employee and he's he's not in the UK, he's in Greece, you know. And I think that would have been very difficult to do, like even like ten years ago or twenty years ago. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the main company I work with is in the US. The company I'm going to do a teaching a workshop for next week is based in Norway. Yeah, yeah, that would have been hard. The, the, the guy the who wrote the forward for my book lives in Gold Coast of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Yet my editor was sitting in LA, but the publishing company's in Berlin. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you're you're a, you're a, a, a micro multinational. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. We you know my support guys in Greece. We sell products in Canada and and Ireland and 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 the US and etc. You know, so it's we are kind of like micro multinationals, aren't we? Really, just at a very small level. But that wouldn't have been possible like 20 years ago. I think that would have been really, really difficult. Mm. But I think now with the technology, with the internet, uh, Skype and um, Slack and all these different tools to communicate online, it just makes it so much easier, doesn't it, now to do that? I mean, he, he makes quite a bold claim. So he, he, in the book, he says that, you know, being a small entrepreneur is actually more profitable and safer than having a job. Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more so, isn't it, I think? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, there's a really good analogy. I mean, you, you mentioned the analogy even the last episode or the one before. And it's sort of saying about, you know, a regular paycheck gives you a full sense of security. So he uses the analogy of a turkey in the book. So he says, you know, a turkey's being fed and it feels kind of safe and happy because it's constantly being fed or, yeah. or being given a regular paycheck. And then suddenly it's taken to see the butcher where, yeah. where it has its head cut off. So obviously that equates back to a job where you're... I think people have this false sense of security when you have a job, you know, but you don't know what's happening in the background. You know, one day you could just lose your job. You know, your company could shut down or they could outsource your job or or you could be replaced by technology or a machine or whatever, couldn't you? But obviously you don't know that yet. You know, every day you just go to work and then one day you don't have a job. Oh, it's, it's absolutely you're, not, you're not in control of your own destiny, are you? In have you ever way? been through a, a redundancy? Before? I have been made redundant, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well. Um, our office, we got merged with another office, but it was too far for me to travel, so I took redundancy. But yeah, it wasn't a nice experience. It was it was particularly unpleasant. Um, but have you done that? Have you been made redundant? Have you? Or? Yeah, well, I've been made redundant once, and I've been at the threat of redundancy several times. So the, f- the time I was made redundant, it was years and years ago. I was still working in the games industry. And I worked at this company in Bollington in Cheshire. Okay. I was there for about nine months. 
It was kind of going very well, and I came into work one day. It just happened to be September the 11th, 2001. Oh, no. So, so that day was eclipsed by yeah. other, other things. But, um, yeah, we, we just came in, and then you know, the guys running the company just came in to see us all. And he basically said, right, I need to make basically three quarters of you redundant now. Oh, and, no, and, yeah, yeah. We, and, you know, I'd only been there nine months. I wasn't actually entitled to any redundancy pay at that point, apart from yeah. just my salary. But he goes, you know, you basically haven't got enough money to pay you, but we need to get rid of most of you. Oh, no, that's hard. To try and keep yeah. the other people in a job. And it was like, what just happened? You know, we, we got in, you know, into work thinking everything's okay. Had me a cup of coffee. Yeah. And then five minutes later, I'm out of a job. I think I think when you're a, a small entrepreneur, at least you're more in control of your own destiny and you're more aware of what's happening. Although it is, as it's own challenges and it is stressful and... It's, it's emotionally challenging and mentally challenging, but at least you do have more control, I suppose, over your destiny than if you just work for somebody and somebody else is control of, in control of your destiny. Um, the, other thing, the other advantage of being an entrepreneur is that you have more control over your salary. Than, you know, if you work for somewhere, you might get your 2-3% annual salary. Yeah. But if you're an entrepreneur, the, there's, no, there's no limit on the upside in terms of what you could potentially earn. So, like, it's sort of like, I think the author mentions that most of, his sort of entrepreneur friends would be disappointed if they only grew their business, uh, you know, twenty percent per year. Yeah. Whereas if you were an employee, you'd be very happy with a twenty percent pay rise. That'd be quite Absolutely, unprecedented. Yeah. But like, it just shows the expectation is different when you run your own business. You have that control, and if you could basically double your salary, you would, wouldn't you? That's there's there's no there's no limit on the upside in terms of being an entrepreneur. And I, I have noticed that with my friends now. I think my friends that are entrepreneurs, I see that I see they have a brighter future than my friends who are who are employees. Um, I don't know, do you feel that as well, or I don't know, it's hard to say, isn't it, or things happen slowly, don't they? Well, in, in terms of people that I know, you mean? Yeah, yeah, do you think your friends that run their own, or own their own businesses are, are doing better than the people that work for people, or? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, most of the people I know that run their own businesses are kind of all doing very similar things to what I do, with the plural side of things, so obviously they're all doing very well. I'm trying to think of any people I know that are running, well, apart from yourself, Running businesses doing completely different things to what I do. Yeah, there was. Actually, know uh, that. Well, Theatre Digs, Phil from Theatre Digs, he seems to do really well. He's got loads of employees and um, there's my friends from Mastermind Group. Um, So we need to get him on for an interview, don't we? Yeah, yeah, that could be an interesting one. But yeah, there's people like that and you see that they they seem to be doing really well and growing their businesses. Um, I sort of had a friend who's got another friend who's an entrepreneur who's just like sold his business. Oh, nice. Somebody who's in the restaurant sort of tech sector. Okay. I know them much. I don't know if you know do or not. Um, he's he's just sold his business. He's doing really well. And you sort of hear these stories, you know, of people that are doing well that own their own businesses, you know. And I think, and there's more opportunity, isn't there, to do well if you own your own business? I think you can control of your own destiny more, aren't you? Yeah, I must admit, I do. For me, one of the biggest upsides is is just general freedom for doing things. So, like, you know, at the moment, I don't have to ask anyone if I want to take a holiday or take some <laughs> yeah. time off. Yeah, which is. It sounds like a small thing, but you know we're, we're trying to work out what we want to do in February. So we're, we're thinking of going away for half term just yeah. to visit family stuff. But we want to go a few days earlier. Whereas I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll probably take my laptop anyway, just to do things one few bits while I'm there. Whereas my wife has to go through the whole, you know, applying for holiday where she may get it or it may get turned down. And yeah, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't have to. You've got freedom, haven't you? I think you don't have to follow the rules. You make your own rules up as you go, don't you? It's nice to have that, isn't it? That freedom, isn't it? So for me, that's that's one of the biggest benefits of running a business. I mean, obviously, you, you need to earn money, you need to grow the business and all of that, but that's not my main key motivator. Mine is sort of freedom. 
Yeah, no, I, I do get that. Yeah, I'm quite relaxed. Some days I can have an easy day and I've not got anybody to answer to. I can do as I please. You know, if one day I don't want to do any work and I have to, you know, but I don't have to book it in advance. I can just do as I please. But, you know, one of the things that I find that I completely agree with in the book that you're saying about is, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, regardless of what you do in your own chosen field, you're actually working on something that's meaningful to you. Yeah, yeah. You but but how many times have you worked for a company where half the time you just don't really... Care. I think you can be more authentic to who, who you actually are, and you can do projects that you personally believe in um, as well. You know, so like I'm enjoying working on the on these on these new tools that we're building, and that's you know I think that's going to make a, a meaningful difference to the world having these tools. You know, for our users, our customers, you know, it's making real impact on the world, and that's that's positive. Hmm. Um, and I think you can have more of a positive impact on the world sometimes if you're an entrepreneur. You just have more control, don't you, to do stuff that you believe is important. And because you believe it's important, you're quite happy to put in extra hours, but it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, it's funny you should say that, actually. Um, my little boy's just, um, I've got a five-year-old boy, and he's, he's started school, uh, he's just started school, and he's just won an award for work, doing lots of hard work. And I said, the reason is, because when I go to work, I'm fired up to go to work, mm. and it's really positive. And he sees work as a positive thing, whereas a lot of people who say, oh, they're going to work, oh, I'm going to work, they hate it, you know, it's yeah. after work. Whereas I see it as a really positive. My, my little boy's got that same kind of mentality. Works a good thing to him. So he's apparently just we've got to go in, on on Thursday and they're going to present him with an award because he's done the most work or something like that or something like that. But it's because he's got a positive experience of work, and I think he's got that from myself, you know. So I think that's that's important, isn't it? Yeah, because I always used to be. I mean, you get some people where you know they'll go into a company that they'll just excel no matter what it is they've been asked to do. Yeah, and they're, they're quite happy doing anything, even if they don't particularly care about it. Whereas I've always been the sort of person where if I'm not interested in what I'm doing, I really, really, really have to push myself to do it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I've worked at some companies where I've just been really completely disengaged with the product or the thing that I'm working on. Yeah, and I, and I, know, I, I feel yeah. like I kind of have to bully myself into doing it. Yeah, whereas. You know, there's been some companies where I've worked on some smaller side projects within the company for that company, but because it's kind of my own thing, I was kind of happy to do like loads of crazy hours doing it, and it felt more meaningful than some yeah. of the other stuff I was supposed to be doing. It's like if it's like because I, I read a lot of books, and people say, oh, "How do you read the books?" And I'm like, "If you enjoy it, you just do it, don't mm. you?" It's different. You don't see it as a chore, do you? It's more something you enjoy, and then you do it more, don't you? So, I think it's I think you, with. If, when you work for yourself, I think you can pick work that you enjoy, or it's more meaningful and that you enjoy more. And yeah, I think that's important. So, so uh, maybe something we can finish on that was talked about in this book is he talks about a method for growing and starting businesses. And it's called the stair step method by Rob Walling. I know someone yeah, spoken about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, he does a, a good podcast and he wrote a, a good book actually. Um, and, and it's a good approach, I think. The idea is you stair step your way. You start from a very simple product, and then you go to more complex products. As you so you get you, you build a very simple project. So I think the example he uses is something that sells like a one time product um, using one marketing channel. So it could be like um, trying to think of an example. So you could write like an ebook and sell it on your website or sell it on Amazon. Actually, an ebook's a good example because it's it's a product that you sell for one price, and there's no recurring revenue. Yeah, for that customer, it's like that, a that's, that's the example I'm thinking of. Is, is or, or it could be like a productized service or something like that that you sell, or a very simple product that you sell, uh, like an app or something like mm. that. Um, so it could be an app that you sell in the app store, 
um, or something like that that's very simple. Just it gives you kind of the experience you need to go for the next more complicated project. And that first step is kind of the step that you'd probably take whilst you're still working for someone else. So that yeah. that, that would effectively be your side hustle to start Yeah, with. that could be a side hustle, yeah. And that could become it might that that one product might become your main income, you know. Um or then you could perhaps learn from that and then launch the next product. I think the next thing is obviously once you've launched a simple product, then is to launch more one off products. Um sort of replicate what you've done so eventually you can have build up a portfolio that so that you can quit your job with all these products that are doing well um and that's it's just sort of focusing sort of getting enough income that you can replace your your job as an employee so the way he uh, talks about it in the book is focus on earning enough income so that you can buy back the time that you're giving to your employer i thought that was quite an interesting way of framing it so because you give like you know seven eight nine hours a day to an yeah. employer so it's about earning enough that you can actually buy that time back yeah, yeah. quite an interesting yeah, way of framing so it's, it. It's good. And then I think what they're saying is once you've obviously got a portfolio of like very simple products, then you could perhaps go for something more complicated. So I think the example he uses is like, um, it might be like a, a, a software as a service product or like a recurring revenue or like a membership site or something that's a bit more bigger, more a bigger project. You know, you kind of go up the food chain, don't you, a little bit as you, as you go on your entrepreneurial journey. Um, but I think you can use that approach. That's how you can kind of go from something very small quickly to much, much larger with more revenue, more meaningful projects as you go up. Yeah. So, up so, so we've got those three steps. So the first one is creating a simple product and just selling it through one marketing channel. Yeah. The second one is launching enough of those one-off products that you can then go and quit your job and buy back your time. Yeah. yeah. And then the third one is focusing on something a bit more complex, you know, with recurring revenues, membership, etc. So where would you consider yourself in those three steps? I'm, I'm kind of, to be fair, I'm, I'm kind of, we're, we're sort of step three because of we've, mm. we've got the SaaS product now, which is, it's not something I recommend that you go straight in with a SaaS product. No, I know, mean, th- th- that's kind of where I, I, I see your business as well as on step three. Whereas yeah. For me, I actually still see myself at step two. It's funny you say that because you, you kind of had, you know, you had your, your, you mentioned those journeys earlier, you know, yeah. the year of change, the year of stability. And the year of sort of branching out, isn't it? Yeah. So kind of that year of branching out probably is the level three, isn't it? You're going through that, aren't you, I guess? Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe this is the year that I transition from step two in the stair-step method into step three. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is absolutely. the branching out. Yeah, it's looking, it is looking to get on to perhaps doing more different revenue streams, um, perhaps some kind of, I don't know, it's hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever it might be. I don't know what your, what your plans are. So. Yeah, well, I've, got, I've got some sort of app stroke product ideas which I'm, yeah. kind of, which I'm kind of mulling over. Yeah, that may be the next step on your journey, who knows. Yeah, so overall, I think this is a really good book and I highly encourage anyone to go and read it. So if you are the sort of person that's thinking, you know, I've got some ideas for a business, you know, maybe you're working on it on the side, which is obviously the point of this podcast. Yeah, so you, yeah. You're working some stuff on the side and you're kind of trying to think about how to take things further or even if you should. Yeah. Then I really do highly recommend that you read this. I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, Kind of the way he's written part of the book, he kind of implies that the whole concept of the nine to five job is just going to disappear completely. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I, mean, I that, agree with it to that, that extent. It's hard to know. It's it's a question of speed, isn't it? If if you're just coming up to retirement now, you probably don't need to worry about yeah. this issue, do you? you know, you, you know, as long as you can keep going until you retire, you know. So it's all it's all a matter. Of, I think it's kind of a bit alarmist. I don't think all jobs are going to just die in the next ten years. That's not going to happen, is it? But no. you know, 
I think there's going to be more of it. And I think you've got it. You can't be the turkey though, can you though? You don't want to be the turkey that just thinks like today. You can't just what what is like today isn't how tomorrow is. And humans are very bad at that, aren't they? Predicting what's going to happen in the future. So I think you've kind of got to be aware of what could happen. Which is interesting because that ties back to that question we had earlier on Brexit. Oh, (laughs) About predicting the future. Yeah, it's very hard, isn't it? So Uh, I I really do recommend reading it. I mean, that's, you know, a large part of the reason why we... Uh, decided to discuss this book because actually I think this is quite an important book that people should read. Yeah, no, definitely, I definitely should think at uh, think you know if you have a job, you know, think about the job and is it secure and is it everything that it could be? You know, what are the other options? You know, look at the entrepreneur route. Is is that something you could potentially do? I mean, as its same challenges of being an entrepreneur can be lonely, it can be stressful and etc. But then it can be rewarding and yeah. it can be profitable. You know, it just depends, doesn't it? But, you know, if you're, if you're teetering on that edge of trying to work out whether this is right for you, then I, th- I think this book could, yeah. could could help you. And it's yeah, not a particularly long book either. It's probably a couple hundred, It's an easy read, I think. So, yeah, so that is The End of Jobs by Taylor Pearson. Okay, yeah, yeah, check, check it, out. it out. Yeah, please do. Okay, so, I mean, we've just recommended the book, End yeah. of Jobs. <laughs> yeah, but, so I mean, we did uh, that as well, yeah. But you know, I think we should do some other recommendations, and I've, I've got a bit of a weird one, but should we, uh, should we do your one first? Yeah, I can do, yeah. I've just been reading, um, it's a great book, actually. It's, it's, it's called Bad Blood, Secrets, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup, and it was just really, really good, actually. It's sort of, it's sort of, you should read this, um, actually. Have you, have you heard of the book, have you? Or... You mentioned it before Christmas, yeah, actually. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's just a, it's a great read. It's about, there's a, there was a company called Thranos, and they were like, uh, they're doing like a blood, blood diagnostics company. Okay. And they kind of have this toxic culture of secrecy, so they were doing lots of sort of like faking blood tests, lying to investors. I think they were claiming to have technology that Maybe they didn't about have. This, yeah. yeah. And I think it was quite dangerous because they were sort of like doing health diagnostics on people, you know, and giving false results and stuff. So... A lot of the stuff they do was, was kind of a bit dishonest. They were, I think they, I think they claimed at one point that they were turning over hundred million, with only turning over hundred thousand and things like that, you know, <laughs> dollars and stuff. It's were, just were, like, they, were they doing this basically to dupe investors to give them? Yeah, to get money? to basically, yeah, to, to to get extra investment. So they were saying like they had customers that they didn't have and that they were much bigger than they were. I think I think what the problem was they were looking at a lot of startup companies are kind of a bit loose with reality sometimes it's like right. distortion reality field isn't there with software companies and you kind of get away with it in the world of software you can sometimes pull it off you know but obviously with this being a health startup it was kind of different you know they you know didn't lose are they still around i'm not sure they pretty they must be dead now i don't know yeah. if they're still they, was they, it written by an employee no no it's a wall street j- right. journalist um john Carrio or something like that right um yeah but they, they, i think they're if they, if they aren't gone they're pretty much gone i think you know right, they okay. might still exist in name but not in reality i don't know um but the yeah the the, the founders have sort of been investigated now by um by the government you know the the fbi or whoever it is i don't know how it works in america but they, they're kind of being criminally investigated so well, i don't think surprise me if it's anything to do with anything health related then... yeah yeah i think well i think there's, there's possibly there was two issues obviously they were lying to investors to get investment so that's probably obviously criminal and obviously they were um in terms of the fraudulent kind of blood test results and things like that, you know, as well. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, a lot of people seem to be really attracted to this kind of Silicon Valley style ethos. I think it was almost like a cult, yeah, it almost can be cultish, you know, the way, you know, work these crazy hours, you can solve any problem and and kind of, there's this air of secrecy and kind of bullying and nastiness. I've 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 never 
experienced Silicon Valley itself. I mean, I've kind of the last company I was at was kind of it, it helped peer into that kind of world of VC funding and all of that. And I, I didn't like what I saw, so I'm kind of glad I'm out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of smoke and daggers, isn't there? Yeah. And it's all kind of a bit underhand. Some what well, some things are, you know. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that world. You know, it's 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 something I think you've got to be aware of. You know, that you don't enter a cult like it's got sort of toxic culture. You know, you, you've got to be true to yourself, haven't you, and, and, and stick to what's authentic to you, you know. Not, not be dishonest. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay, so that's uh, Bad Blood. But, uh, bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. Yeah. I might read yeah, that. Check it out, yeah. So my recommendation is completely unrelated. I keep doing okay. unrelated <laughs> yeah. ones, but you know, I spent December sort of working on this kind of interactive fiction game engine thing. It's, okay, it's, it's a yeah. bit of fun. So naturally I've been playing a lot of interactive fiction. Okay. And I don't know whether you remember when you was a kid. Do you ever read the fighting fantasy books? No. They're a bit like the Choose Your Own Adventure books. So you, you'll, you'll read a paragraph and then you get to make a decision. You know? Yeah, I've read books do, like, do, yeah. do you go through the gate, turn to this page? Do, ah, okay, you, yeah. you know, do you fight the goblin and go to this page? Yeah. But the reason the fighting fantasy books were good because it, was, it wasn't just a book, it was a game. So using dice, you had to like you know roll dice. You know, if you score higher than this and you defeat the ogre and you had, ah, to, you okay, had stats... Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like Dungeons and Dragons, but you just play by yourself. Okay. Yeah. By people. Yeah. Anyway, there's there's an app by a company called Tin Man Games. I think they're an Australian company, and it's called Fighting Fantasy Classics, and it's got like ten of the old Fighting Fantasy books on there as an app. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you don't have to do the dice rolling yourself. You, you can you'll roll the oh, dice. Oh, it just yeah, it just, just makes yeah, it a bit yeah, easier. Yeah. But so I did some travelling a little while ago, and yeah, you know, I was just on the train. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I was playing through uh, Death Trap Dungeon, which was one of the one of the books. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting there, you know, doing virtual dice rolls and like, you know, killing all. You can lose it. You can lose a day doing that, can you? I, I think quite easily. It's just really cool, and it just goes to show that you know, games these days don't have to be you know, 4K anti-alias, you know, behemoth monsters. Yeah, that you play on a PlayStation. I mean, the, yeah. this game, you know, it's a book. It's like an ebook, but it's got the game component to it as well. Yeah. Especially if you're like, you know, in your late 30s or early 40s, and you grew up in the 80s, and you, you know, fighting fantasy was. But well, they're still going now, actually. They're still building new ones. Oh, okay, I think yeah. it's like 60 books in total. Oh, over okay. 60 books. Good little time waster. Yeah, yeah. Try. Check it out, yeah. I thought I'd recommend it. Great. So that's another one in the can. Okay. So uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks where we're going to be talking about some of the different books that have kind of made an impact on our sort of entrepreneurial lives. Yeah, maybe some good recommendations for yeah. our listeners. So we'll see you in a few weeks. Okay, see you then, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.